This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Again this morning, we seem to have been forever in this book of 2 Kings. I think this is the 12th uh, time we've been looking at this story. The title, of course, the message, as you know, is walking in the footsteps of a prophet, and it specifically is dealing with the life and times of the prophet Elisha. And we're almost finished. I believe that uh, next Sunday morning, I think, will be the last in this current series. Uh, so 2 Kings chapter 8 um, we're going to be reading from verse 16 in a moment but first of all uh, if you just give me your attention because I need to give you a little bit of background uh, regarding as we move into this chapter in 1 Kings chapter 19 uh, Elisha's predecessor Elijah uh, was given uh, directions by God. He was to do three things. He was to anoint Elisha in his, uh, to be his successor. Then he was to anoint Hazael to be king over Syria and Jehu to be king over Israel. Those three things. And we know that he did because we read it together how he anointed Elisha to be his successor. And he would have done the other two commands only, be, only he wasn't able to because there was a postponement on those for this reason. The reason why these men were to be anointed to be king over Syria and king over Israel is because judgment time was coming for Israel and specifically for the house of Ahab. King Ahab who married Jezebel, a Sidonian princess who was a wicked, evil woman, a conniving, controlling, evil, wicked woman. And whenever he married her, she introduced Baal worship. And between them, they polluted all Israel with the worship of Baal, which was a perverse and terrible false religion. And God pleaded with Israel uh, through Samuel the prophet, through Elijah the prophet, through Elisha to turn back from this to destroy these idols, but they wouldn't do it. And, uh, and so that period of grace, could you say, was fast running out. The sands of time were running out. Judgment was about to come. And uh, the last strong fact for Ahab was, and you'll find it in uh, 1 Kings 21, uh, was whenever he was at his summer palace in Jezreel. His winter, his winter palace, his summer palace was there. His headquarters was in Samaria. But him and uh, Jezebel would go to Jezreel. It was a beautiful, beautiful area. They had a palace there. And one day he's looking out <coughs> over the wall of his palace and he sees this beautiful vineyard right beside his palace. It belonged to Naboth. And he coveted it. He wanted it for a vegetable garden. And so he went to Naboth, he called him, and he said, look, I want your vineyard. If you give it to me, I shall give you a land, a better piece of land for a vineyard somewhere else. Or if that doesn't suit, I'll pay you good money for it. Now, Naboth was a godly man. He would be one of the 7,000 that hadn't bowed his knee to Baal. And he certainly had no time for this wicked king Ahab of Israel. And so if I can paraphrase what he said, basically what he said, if you were the last man on earth, I would not do this. 
And so Ahab then went home to his palace, lay on his bed, put his face to the wall, and went into a great big sulk over it. I mean, he was just really in a big huff. There were certain laws that God had instituted regarding buying and selling land, and this didn't fall into it, and he knew that, but what was he going to do because he really, really wanted this? So Jezebel, in effect, says, what are you worried about? You're king of Israel. You've got the authority. You can do whatever you want here, but don't worry. I'll take care of it for you. I'll make sure that you get the vineyard. So she called all the, sent a letter out on Ahab's behalf to all the leaders in Jezreel, all the elders to say to come together and give Naboth a place of high honor and fast and almost pretend that we're going to really, really honor him. But what I want you to do is there's going to be two scoundrels, the Bible says, is going to come and they're going to give witness against him. And the false witness against him was that you have blasphemed God and you blasphemed the king. And the only thing for that was, was death. And so they took him out and they stoned him to death on his sons. And that was the last straw. God had enough. This wickedness could not continue indefinitely. And so Elijah then went right to Ahab. And he says, because you have stolen this land, because you have murdered, God is going to judge you. And the very place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, they shall lick your blood, even yours. And as for your wife Jezebel, dogs are going to eat her in that place, Naboth's vineyard. And whenever he heard that, the Bible says he humbled himself. Let me just quickly just read this little bit here. He humbled himself. It says... uh, In verse 25, but there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. This is 1 Kings 21. Because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up, and he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And so it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days, but in the days of his son I will bring the calamity on his house. (coughs) So you see then, it was postponed. So Elijah then couldn't go and uh, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria and Jehu to be king over uh, Israel. However, that was left to Elijah. That was left to his prodigy to do. And the time is coming now for these things to be done. We know we read last week that Elijah now has already, or Elisha has already uh, appointed uh, Hazael to be king over Israel. The reason for that and the reason for Jehu is, is because, because Israel is going to be chastened and the Syrians are going to chasten them. They'll be the rod of chastening. And Jehu is going to stamp out Baalism in Israel. So the time has come for judgment. The time has come for chastening of Israel. Now, just before we read here in chapter 8 of Second Kings and from verse 16, let me just say this because there's a little bit here may confuse you if I don't explain it. Ahab is dead by this time. 
and his son Jehoram is ruling in Israel. And we know that a lot of the dealings Elisha had was with King Jehoram. And so he's ruling, this is Ahab's son Jezebel, his mother, and he's wicked, and he's evil, and he's a Baal worshiper also. But he's ruling in the, the ten-tribe northern nation, usually called Israel. But in the southern nation, Judah, it's Judah and Benjamin, because Judah's the biggest one, it's called Judah, uh, Jehoshaphat was reigning. But Jehoshaphat dies, and Jehoshaphat has a son who now is ruling in his place, and his son's name is also Jehoram, sometimes called Joham. Joham and Jehoram, the name's exactly the same. One is an abbreviation of it, all right? So sometimes these two names is used interchangeably. It's a little bit confusing. The translators decided to make the two names slightly different to help us, but actually then they mixed them up, which doesn't help us. So I don't know why they did that, but there you are. So just to explain that so you'll know. So there's now two kings, one in Israel, one in Judah, and both of them are called Jehoram or Joham, whatever way you want to pronounce it. Now, in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, having been king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as king of Judah. And he was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. So here's this new king of Judah. Jehoshaphat was a good king, but his son became an evil king. And what didn't help him was that Jehoshaphat got him to marry the daughter of Ahab, Athaliah, who was as wicked and as evil as her mother Jezebel. And so unfortunately, now Judah, who... David had his heritage in Judah, and David had been made promises by God about Judah. Now it's getting contaminated by Baal worship also. Now, I hope you're not overly confused by that. And, and you may say, David, that sounds a bit of a history lesson. Well, it is a little bit, but the reason for it is because I want you to see, and you'll see it more in a moment, how that God himself, even after years and years, is now putting pieces together so that his word will come true and his judgment is going to come. So we'll see that in a moment. Imagine having Jezebel as your mother-in-law. Say, David, have you met my mother-in-law? <laughs> She was an evil influence around everyone, every life that she touched. It says, Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David, as he promised him to give him a lamp to him and his sons forever. But in his days, this is the southern king now, uh, Joram or Jehoram, in his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. Whenever David had subdued Edom, but now we see that they're in the ascendancy, and now they've taken back what they feel is theirs. They became a really, really big enemy of the people of God. So Joram went to, Joram went to Zaire and all his chariots with him. 
Then he arose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots and the troops fled to their tents. Thus Edom had been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day and Libna revolted at that time. Libna was a priestly city and they had enough of Baalism and they wanted to be on the Lord's side. So they revolted too. And the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So Joram rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Azahiah, his son, reigned in his place. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Azahiah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Azahiah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel, or Jezebel's daughter also. And he walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. Now, lest you become a little bit sympathetic of these characters that God is going to destroy. Let me tell you, whenever Jehoshaphat's son Jehoram, when he came to power, one of the first things he did was he murdered his six younger brothers. So we're talking about evil characters here. Apart from the Baal worship, evil characters. And this Athaliah we've just read about, and her son Ahaziah, whenever he died, and he only died about 22, 23 years old, and he had a small family, probably infants, and she's now the grandmother of these children. She murdered all of them. She murdered her own grandchildren. So that shows you the depths of wickedness and evil was in permeating through these families and infiltrating the whole nation and contaminating the whole nation. So no wonder God is about to bring judgment to them. And so verse 28. Now he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Joram. Then King Joram went back to Jezreel to recover from his wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him at Ramoth when he fought against Heziel, king of Syria. And Azahiah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. And so Heziel is attacking Israel at Ramoth, Gilead, and Azariah joins forces here with this other king, uh, Joram, and they go and fight together. But Joram, or Jehoram, whatever you want to call him, the northern king, he is wounded. He goes back to Jezreel, to his summer palace, to recover. And the other king, Azahiah, the southern king, he follows him. So the two are together. Now, this is significant. God is putting all the pieces of the jigsaw together. They're in the right place for what is about to happen next. All the dominoes are about to fall. Even though it took years, and even though it took changes in the kingdom, and even though kings died and new kings came, but God had not forgotten that prophetic word that was given through Elijah. Now it was going to come to pass. There's only one more thing to be done, and that is that Jehu has to be anointed king over Israel. Are you still with me? 
Hmm. I'm not too sure. You'll have to get the podcast and think about that one, won't you? All right. And Elisha, the prophet, called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And now when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshai. The reason why I said this is the son of Nimshai, that's Jehoshaphat, to let you know it's not the old king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. It's a different Jehoshaphat. It was a popular name. So, anoint Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshai, and go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room. Then take the flask of oil, pour it on his head, and say, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee, and do not delay. (laughs) You say, well, why did Elisha not go and do this himself? Well, the answer is simple. Elisha was famous in Israel. He was a household name. He was instantly recognizable. And we saw last week how even in Syria, as soon as he came into Syria, everybody knew who he was. So for him to go to Jehu during a war between Israel and Syria, everybody thought, what's going on here? Something's happening. And the ears would have pricked up and word would have got back to these two kings about it. And they'd been on their guard. They'd have known something's afoot because the great Elijah has come and he's visiting Jehu. Something's about to happen. And Elisha didn't want that to happen. What was going to happen was going to be a coup. There was going to be a takeover. And as you know, coups are only successful as long as they're kept secret to the last possible minute. And so he didn't go. But he sent this young prophet This, one of the schools of the prophets, prophets, sent him in his place to do the work. And this was a big task. Uh, This was his first job as a young prophet. It was a big one, wasn't it? To go and announce somebody to be king and then to tell him what he's about to tell him after this and then to flee, to get out of there as fast as you can. Why did he say that? Well, maybe... Maybe he wanted to make sure the young man wouldn't hang around because, you know, when young men come into ministry especially, uh, you know, it's easy to get puffed up, especially if you have a wee bit of success. It's easy to get puffed up with pride. The chances are if he'd have hung around and said, you know, this, you know, it was me who anointed him, you know that. And all these generals here, uh, he maybe would have got caught up in all of that there. And, and Elisha didn't want that to happen. So he says, flee, get out of there as fast as you can, move quickly and go. And to his credit, he did that. He didn't hang around. He didn't look for any appreciation or applause or acclaim. He just went straight back to where he came from. And so the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he arrived... There were captains of the army sitting. And he said, I have a message for you, commander. And Jehu said, for which one of us? Because they're all commanders. These was all the generals of the Syrian army who were sitting here. For which one of us? And he said, for you, commander. Then he arose and went into the house And he poured out the oil on his head and said to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. Now just hit the pause button for a second. Very specifically he said, he could have said, 
I have anointed you king over Israel. But he added, and listen to it again, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. God was about to judge Israel for their idolatry and their backslidings and their wickedness. But they were still his people. And he's letting through this young prophet know this Jehu, know these are my people. Yes, I've chosen you to bring punishment, but they're my people. They're not your people. They're my people. And as my people, I will have the right and I will chasten them. You know, the Bible says the Lord whom he loves, he chastens. And if he doesn't chasten those whom he loves, then they said they're illegitimate. They're not my children. So he's letting him know these are my children and I will chasten them. You will be the rod to chasten them, but I'm the chastener because they're my kids. That's what he's in effect saying here. So, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. And you shall strike down the house of Ahab your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. Jezebel has slaughtered, literally slaughtered, many, many prophets of the Lord and the people of God. So the time has come for judgment. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahiah. Both of their families were destroyed. The dogs shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door, and he fled. Boy, that's a bit gruesome, isn't it? A bit bloodthirsty, isn't it? But she was a bloodthirsty woman. Wicked, wicked woman. Then Jehu came out to the servants of his master, and one said to him, Is all well? Why did this madman come to you? People have all kinds of opinions about believers, aren't they? And particularly about men of God. Why did this madman come? Hmm? Wasn't a very nice thing to say about this young prophet. But they saw him fleeing out the door and they thought, what in the world is wrong with him? They're madmen, these prophets. Can't understand them. That's what they're thinking. Is all well? Why did this madman come to you? And he said to them, you know the man and his babble. <laughs> you know what these prophets are like. They're always babbling on about something. He was playing it down. Why was he playing it down? Perhaps he wanted to time to process what he has just heard. He's just been told he's going to be king over Israel. He's just been told he's going to have to wipe out the house of Ahab and all that belongs to him. That's a lot to process in a minute, isn't it? So maybe he wanted time just to think that through. Or maybe he's wondering, did some of these guys send him to test me? 
Are they wondering, do I really want to be king? Are they doing this to test me? Have they got this guy to come in, by the way, just to see where the land lies? You know, when all these big generals got together, none of them trusted each other at all. He said to them, you know the man in his bubble, and they said, a lie, it's false, tell us now. In other words, we don't know anything about this. What's happening? We need to know. So he said, thus and thus, he spoke to me, saying, thus saith the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on the top of the steps, and they blew trumpets, saying, Jehu is king. They hadn't much loyalty towards <laughs> Jehoram, I'm sure they hadn't. They didn't really like him as king. He wasn't really a good king. He didn't have much strategy either. And so they were glad to get rid of this king, and that's the way it's going to be. So they immediately sided with Jehu and said, He is king. We're behind you. We'll follow you. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshai, conspired against Joram. Now, Joram had been defending Ramoth-Gilead, he and all Israel, against Hazael, the king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to Jezreel to cover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him, and he fought with Hazael as he fought with Hazael, king of Syria. And Jehu said, If you are so minded, let no one leave or escape from the city to go and to tell it in Jezreel. In other words, keep this as secret as long as you can. If this coup is going to work, then we need to keep it a secret. By the way, geographically, geographically, Ramoth Galid, where they were, was about 50 miles away from Jezreel where the king was. And the only way they would know about it if somebody went and told them. So that's why he said, don't tell. Leave it as it is. Let me do this. I don't want him to know. So all the pieces are coming together. They're all fitting in here. And so Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram was laid up there. And Azahiah, the king of Judah, had come down to see Joram. Now watchman stood in the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company of men. And Joram said, Get a horseman and send them to meet, me, send to meet them, and let them say, Is it peace? So the horseman went to meet him and said, Thus said the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, What have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported, saying, The messenger went to him, it went to them, but is not coming back. Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, Thus saith the Lord, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What have I to do with what have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. That term, is it peace, keeps recurring here in these few verses. Is it peace or is it trouble? What is it? How many times do we say that? You get that letter in from HMRC, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Is it peace or is it trouble? Is it a tax rebate or is it a tax demand? That's what you're thinking before you open it. You're sitting in the doctor's waiting room before you go in to get the results of your test, and you're thinking, is this peace or is this trouble? As human beings, that's the way we think, isn't it? When we're unsure and we don't know what's going on, we wonder, is this peace or is this trouble? Is this going to be for me? Is this going to be against me? And that's what they were thinking. So the watchman reported saying, he went up to them and is not coming back. 
And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. Hmm. I was going to a funeral yesterday morning in Belfast at 9.30. I had to take my sister up on the way. And I was a little bit late. And isn't it always the case when you're late, all the slow coaches in the country is in front of you, isn't it? The tractors are out. The caravans are out. There's about 20 boys and bicycles are out. There's great big trucks out. And I'm in a hurry. And when I got past him, I had to drive furiously. And that thought came to me because I knew I was going to preach this this morning. I thought, you know what? I'm like Jehu. I'm driving furiously. <laughs> I hope there's no boys with hairdryers out, policemen, or I'm caught. Some of you are like Jehu. You drive furiously. Not mentioning any names, Johnny Brady. <laughs> and there's others. Then Joram said, make ready. And his chariot was made ready. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Azahiah, king of Judah, went out each in his chariot. And they went out to meet Jehu. And they met him on the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. What would be the chances? After all those years, what would be the chances that this would be the very place where they would meet according to the word of the Lord. Now it happened when Joram saw Jehu that he said, is it peace, Jehu? So he answered, what peace? As long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. And then Joram knew the game was up. And Joram turned around and fled and said to Azahiah, treachery, Azahiah. So Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Jehoram between his arms and the arrow came out his heart and he sank down in his chariot. Then Jehu said to Bidkar, his captain, pick him up and throw him into the tract of the field of Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember, were you and I, remember when you and I were riding behind together behind Ahab, his father, that the Lord said, and the Lord led this burden upon him. Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his son, saith the Lord, and I will repay you in this plot, saith the Lord. Now therefore take and throw him unto the plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. And so the dogs licked the blood of Ahab that was flowing through the veins of his son on the very spot where God said it would happen. Now, even though this is bloodthirsty, even though this is hard to stomach, but I want you to see a bigger picture here, that God's word is unfailing. His prophecies are true. They will come to pass no matter what it takes, no matter how long it takes. So that should encourage us in a positive sense. But when Azahiah, king of Judah, saw this, he fled by the road to Beth Hagan. So Jehu pursued him and said, Shoot him also in the chariot. And they shot him at the ascent of Gur, which is by Ebelim. Then he fled to Megiddo, 
and he died there. And his servants carried him in his chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his tomb with his fathers in the city of David. In the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Azahiah, had become king over Judah. Now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. And she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. Here's the wife of Ahab, the grandmother. Listen to this. She painted up her face. And knowing that Azahiah was dead, she painted up her face and she sat at the window to meet Jehu. This is an arrogant, bold, wicked woman. This is a woman that even Elisha was frightened of. Elisha was more frightened, or sorry, Elijah was more frightened of Jezebel than he was of the prophets of Baal. He killed 400 of them with the sword. But when she made one threat against his life, he ran for his life. So her reputation was vicious and cruel and wicked and arrogant and proud. And here she is, as bold as brass, as brazen as can be, sitting waiting for Jehu to come, thinking she had his number. I'll fix him. Listen to what she said. Then as Jehu entered at the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimri, murder of your master? What does she mean by that? Zimri was a man who murdered his master and became king but he only lasted seven days. Verse King 16, he only lasted seven days. So what she's saying to him, hey, listen, you think you're going to do great. You'll not last very long. I'm around. I'm still here. Yes, my husband is dead. Yes, Azahiah is dead. But I'm still around. See me, look. She's all painted up, all brazen. <laughs> You'll not last very long around here, boy. That's what she's saying. In fact, you're like Zimri. He only lasted seven days. You killed your master. You'll not make it either. But he looked up at the window and he said, Who is on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs, 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 two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Then he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses and he trampled her underfoot with his horses and chariots, by the way. And after he had done that, and when he had gone in, he ate and he drank. <sighs> this boy's pretty ruthless too, isn't he? This is a hardened warrior. He has seen many die. He has seen much blood shed, and he shed much. So this evil, wicked woman was nothing to him. Didn't bother him. Didn't put him off his dinner. He went in and had a big feed while she was lying out there. And then he said, after he'd ate and drank, then he said, go now and see to this accursed woman and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. Not only was she a king's daughter. Huh. Her son was a king. Her son-in-law was a king. So they went to bury her. 
but they found no more of her than her skull and the feet and the palms of her hand. Hmm. The dogs had eaten her, just as God had said, through Elijah, all those years ago. Nothing was left but the skull, representing the mind and the hands and the feet. The mind that was conniving, that was controlling, that was wicked, that was evil, and the hands and the feet that were quick to shed blood. That was all was left. That was her legacy. That was it. Therefore they came back and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord which was spoken by my servant, of his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground at Jezreel, a dog shall eat of the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuge on the surface of the field in the plot of Jezreel, so that they shall not say, Here lies Jezebel. Somebody said the wheels of God grind very slowly, but they grind exceedingly small. No matter how long it takes, no matter what God's got to do, His word will come true. They get every chance possible to repent, but they wouldn't. So there was nothing left, only judgment. In this world, God in his grace and his mercy has given 2,000 years of opportunity for men to repent. But if they don't, then there's nothing left but judgment. And we know what that judgment is because the Bible plainly tells us. So nobody can accuse God of being ruthless and wicked and evil and uncaring and ungracious, he goes to the nth degree. But there comes a point where a line is crossed and there's nothing left, only judgment. Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel is still around today. In Revelation chapter 2, when Jesus is speaking to the seven churches and he comes to Theotira, he commends them for many things, but he says, I have a few things against you. You have allowed that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to corrupt you. They didn't deal with her. There are Jezebels in the church today that corrupt congregations, that corrupt ministries because that spirit lives on. And if we don't deal with it, God will deal with it. Amen. We're not going to read it, but if you go into the next chapter, you'll see that Jehu, with his command to do it, he got his orders. He killed all of Ahab's sons, all 70 of them, wiped out all the relations, all the acquaintances, all their priests wiped the whole lot out. Baalism would have to die at the house of Ahab. All the worshippers of Baal he wiped out. 
It's a story in itself. But, but, and it's a big but, Ahaziah, Judah's king, they killed. He had 42 brothers. They killed all of them too. Now here's the thing. He had no remit for that. He had no remit to kill Azahiah or to kill all his family. But he did it anyway. He was flushed with success for destroying the house of Ahab and he didn't stop there. He went further than he was told to go. Why am I telling you this? Because many a man of God throughout the years has had success in what God has asked them to do, but they didn't stop there because they were successful in what God had asked them to do and they were flush with that success, went on to do things that God didn't ask them to do. Over the years, there's been, I've not mentioned it, I can think of a man many, many years ago had a, an exceptional healing ministry. Exceptional. Seventy blind people instantly got sight. Cripples walked. I mean, cancers fell off people's bodies. Miraculous things. Almost unbelievable. And God used him mightily in that, but then he decided that he would be a teacher. And he started to teach, and he wasn't gifted for it. And he started to teach heresy. And his followers started to believe a lie. And on and on you could go. A little lesson for us, if God calls you and gifts you to do something, do it with all your might, be successful in it. But be careful you don't go beyond that and start doing things that God hasn't called you to do or asked you to do or gifted you to do because you'll be in trouble and you'll cause trouble all around you. Be content to do what you're called to do and do it with all of your might. And then if God asks you to do something, wait till you're asked. Don't just go ahead and think, well, I'm good at that, so I'll be good at this. I can do that, so I can do this. Not necessarily so. Let me just finish with this. 2 Kings 10, 28. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. Ah. He wiped out Baal in the land. That was a horrible, terrible sinful thing in the land and he destroyed it as he was told to do but he allowed the calves down in Bethel to stay that were being worshipped he despised that sin of Baal but he kept up the sin of the calves now is there not a tendency in our lives to do something similar hmm is there not some things that we count as great sin and, and despise it and hate it and won't stand for it in our lives or in the lives of anybody else for that matter 
But here's another sin. And we accommodate it. We allow it. And that's what he did. But, and the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your sons shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who had made Israel sin. Ah. Isn't that amazing? He knows that God has called him. He goes out and do, does what God had called him to do. But he still doesn't follow the Lord wholly. You would think, having received a call like that, and carrying out with a great efficiency and speedily, you would think that his whole heart would have been for the Lord, but it wasn't. He took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord his God, the Lord God of Israel, with all his heart, for he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, who had made Israel to sin. Ah. Could have been so better, could have been so different. But he just didn't go the whole way. He didn't go the whole hog, as we say. And if he had destroyed those calves of Baal, you might have had a better epitaph at the end of it. And even though God honored him from doing what he asked him to do, but if he had it continued and wiped out those other idols, it would have been so much better. The period that Jehu reigned over Israel and Samaria was 28 years. That was the longest that anybody reigned in Israel. I said, David, that was hard this morning. There doesn't seem to be much grace in that message this morning. I think the big lesson for us is that God hates abominations in the land. He hates idols. And if a nation or an individual doesn't get rid of their idols, eventually, with all of God's grace that's shown, with all of his compassion, with all of his heart towards his children, there can only be judgment left. So they need to be dealt with. The idols need to come down. Amen? Amen. Need to be dealt with. Don't you see in these British eyes, don't you see idols being raised up that are ungodly, that are an abomination in God's sight? Don't you see governments falling over themselves to raise up these idols? Hmm? We need to pray for our land. We really need to pray for it, really do. Because if we don't, and judgment comes, we're in serious trouble. Say, David, man, this is the New Testament, this is the area of grace, don't talk about judgment. Wait a minute. God deals with nations. Unless you haven't read the book of Revelation. God deals with nations. And nations honor him he honors, and if they dishonor him, judgment comes. Doesn't have to be, but it will come. So we need to pray for our nation that men and women will see sense and get back to the word of God. We are in serious trouble. 
as nations today, aren't we? Really are, so we need to pray. By the way, the prayer meeting's on Thursday nights. <laughs> it was off for a couple of weeks, but it's back on again. And we really need to pray. Amen. I have only one more message to go in this. And it's much more encouraging than what this morning was. And we'll finish it, God willing, next Sunday morning. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.